Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. G'day everyone and welcome once again to Profitable Farmer. Hutch here. Um, a little bit reflective, I've got to say, in a year that promised so much um, for so many on the East Coast in particular, and I think even into some pockets of South Australia and certainly in WA, some wet weather has had a real impact. And to that, so for those of you that have, you know, have had crops um, waterlogged and ruined as a result of um, a wet finish this year, um, my thoughts go out to you. Um, it is a fickle game, this one called farming. And yeah, just want to encourage you to remember that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And this is just one season in 50. Um, but my thoughts are with you. And to those of you that are pulling in record harvests at the moment and really strong results from Southern Queensland down, um, congratulations and be sure to celebrate. Hey, um, in the last few podcasts, we've had um, some cracking interviews, but it was really great to hear Robbo interview our cow, David and Bianca, um, in our last release. And he made a comment in that that I wanted to pick up on that business model trumps hard work. That's a really key point that Marshall Thurber, a mentor of mine, has taught Robbo and I. Um, and I think it ties back to a concept that I want to explore today. Business is an intellectual sport and good strategy and a good business model can be the things that set us free in business. Another mentor of mine, Keith Cunningham, made that comment that business is an intellectual sport and most of us just aren't thinking critically and strategically enough. And he makes a comment that doing a traditional thing in a traditional business or a traditional industry may in fact be no longer relevant. And so, you know, as farmers, we have always been and we are commodity producers. And so perhaps for us, compared to that boutique restaurant or that boutique gym or that accounting firm, um, we could construe that getting our business model right is harder for us or um, nailing some of these pieces is harder for us. But I actually think it's absolutely the same. And so when we come back to David and Bianca and the Our Cow story, they were a struggling small farm with fire in a number of concurrent years and prolonged drought. And there was no way that that farm was going to feed their family, educate their kids and set them free. And so a lateral thought and now a very clever business model is the thing that can see them provide, create wealth, and achieve their definition of what it is to have freedom and be freedom farmers, which is a coin of phrase that I love about what we do here at Farm Owners Academy. And so business model trumps hook every time. I just want to throw to a few examples. Gyms used to charge you eight bucks whenever you went to them. 
you know. And so if I went eight times or 80 times, I'd just take some cash, a bit like I do at the local swimming pool now and just pay as I go. And then probably 30 years ago, one gym had the idea of just making that $40 a month paid on the second of the month and all of their members signed up for that. And so now that single change meant that that traditional gym collecting six or eight bucks every time we might turn up and having uncertain income as a result moved to getting 300 members paying 40 bucks on the second of every month and they created income certainty. And then from that, they can construct and create a very, very profitable business. And so in the restauranting game, so many restaurants sit back and they gear up and get the food and the wait staff and the kitchen staff all set up hoping for 100 people to walk in and buy dinner tonight. And now there are restaurants, and I've mentioned one of these before that Jane and I went to, where they only had 80 seats and it was booked out in advance and it was something at like $120 a head before wine or beverages. And it's a set menu so that I didn't get to order and Jane didn't get to order. We turned up and had what the menu was for the day as dictated to us by the head chef. And so in that restaurant, there's no waste, there's certain income, there's a waiting list, there's a price premium, they have certain income, they can adjust their wages and their menus and their margins such that they can deliver a predictable profit to their owners day in, day out, night in, night out. And so two examples, a gymnasium and a restaurant that have both adapted their business model to create something that is predictable and repeatable. And so, you know, I do come back to the Outcast story. What a great example of a small business or a small farm that has pivoted, had a lateral thought, had a few failed attempts at getting their business model right. And how many people, how many people have tried to do the direct paddock to plate concept direct from farm with a consistent supply into homes in Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra and beyond? Thousands have tried. But they got their business model wrong for a little while and then they came up with their subscription model and that is the thing that scaled. So often we get our business model wrong for a little while until we get it right. But it's the business model that underpins our projects, guys, that can set us free. And so I spoke at a Sheep Matters conference about eight months ago and there were about 100 farmers sitting in a wool shed. And the first question I asked them is one I want to put to you is how do you value a business? Most farmers haven't been exposed to this. And so this is, I think, something worth writing down if you're in your office or 
just giving some real thought to, but scratch this down if you can. If we wanted to value an accounting firm or a physiotherapy practice or an engineering agency or a building company, there are five or six methods around how they value a company. But there's one poor valuation method, which is simply the profitability of that business times a multiple, X. And so those two things multiplied together are the thing that is the thing that determines how much you would have to pay for that accounting firm or that physiotherapy practice or that building company. And so I'm sharing this because I want to apply this back to agriculture. I think there's so much we can learn from small business and big business outside of agriculture that absolutely helps us expand and improve what we're doing in farming. And so if you think about that for a minute, if I own an accounting firm that is doing a $200,000 profit after partner's salaries, and that business is completely dependent on its owners, its owners are stuck in that accounting firm doing 60, 80, 100 hours a week, and that that business has really poor systems, no real organisational chart, team are unreliable and there's no real structure around their engagement. It might have an average culture um, and no real point of difference as an accounting firm. It just turns out tax returns like every other accounting firm. So if that business is ultimately a job for its owners and it keeps those owners busy, that business might get a 1.5 or two times profit at best. So if it's doing a 200 grand profit after partner salaries, you might get 350 or $400,000 for that business if you sold it because it's doing a profit, but the multiple that is ultimately the goodwill of that business is average at best. That business is nowhere near under management and nowhere near systemized and structured and performing enough that an investor would want to go in and buy it as an investment. So if you were to go in and buy that, you would need to go in and replace the partners and ultimately buy yourself a job. Business investors are looking at going concerns. And so they're looking at projects that they can invest in that are largely under management. And so for a small business like that accounting firm or that physiotherapy practice or a restaurant, it does not matter. If there are reliable team members, really strong systems, a good business model, and the business is set up such that it can survive and work without the partners needing to be there, 
So if the partners of that accounting firm or of that restaurant or physiotherapy practice can have six or eight or 10 weeks away and their team run that business such that its performance doesn't drop while they're away, then when an investor comes to value that business, it might still be doing a $200,000 profit, but people will pay four or five or even six times profit for that very same accounting firm, physiotherapy practice or restaurant. So all of a sudden for the same profit, 200 grand, if you get a five times multiple because you've done the hard work to get the business set up such that it can work without you as the accountant or as the physio or as the restaurant, then instead of getting 350 grand, you could be getting a million or 1.2 million for that same small business. Now, if you then knuckle down and drive profit and you knuckle down and improve the business that and the business model and the team and the culture and the planning and the communication and the systems that drive that business. Let's say you could get profits up to 400 grand and achieve a six times multiple. Then all of a sudden that very same business can be worth $2.4 million. Now, I interviewed my brother about a year and a half ago on this same podcast. And I think the interview was called um, Learning from Big Business. He's in private equity. And so they buy Ingham's Chicken or they buy Peter's Ice Cream or Millard's Milling. This is what they do. They buy businesses that they believe to be slightly underperforming. And then they get in and improve the systems or the infrastructure that supports that business, drive better performance and better profits and then turn around and sell that business three or four years later at a significant premium to their purchase. But I think as business owners and even as farm business owners, it's really important to understand this. And I'm sharing this for a reason. In farming, when we sell a farm, or someone comes in wanting to invest in or buy our farm, the only thing that gets sold is the land asset. So if I've got 3,000 acres and I sell it for $4,000 an acre, I get a $12 million check, but there is no, it's an asset value valuation method. When we sell a farm, there is no credence or no um, value placed on the business that sits on top of the farm, the operating entity that runs the farm. But I think this is a real problem. And let me explain why. And this comes back to Keith Cunningham, this prolific business investor that you will have heard me speak about, a mentor of mine, from Texas in America, who's made his fortune investing in small businesses. Warren Buffett invests in big business. For me, Keith Cunningham is a bit like the Warren Buffett to small business. But 
what Keith says is once you've found a business like that accounting firm or that physio practice or that restaurant that is turning out a good profit and that it can do it without you, it's under management. So imagine if you went to work for three or four or five years diligently bringing your restaurant as a restaurateur under management. So they could do a $200,000 profit or a $300,000 profit without you needing to be there. It had a manager and a good team and a good structure in place and it was unique and the business model was special so that you didn't need to be there. Keith's point is why would you ever sell that business? What an investment that now becomes. You might be able to sell it at a five or six times multiple on profit, but his comment is why would you? If you've got a business that is turning out that sort of profit and it's under management, keep that business forever is his comment. And so bringing this all back to farming and agriculture, there's one other dynamic that I want to add in. That accounting firm rents its premises and then operates as a business. Same for the restaurant, same for the physio practice. They all have to rent their premises. And so I reckon we need to be thinking about our farm the same way. There is a land ownership asset, the land, that I think should be charging a rent to the operating entity. And so just to check in on that for a moment, if, you're, if you had to pay, if the operating entity of your farm, in addition to paying a wage to you and every other family member that worked there and paying fair wages to your people, if your business had to rent every acre that you operate at 2.5 or 3 or 3.5, up to 4% of land value, could you have sustained performance and profitability after making that rental payment. That's what accounting firms have to do. And every other business. But if we think about it, we've got, we're landowners and we need a return. And then we've got the operating entity, the entity that sits on top of our farm. And so let's just think about the operating entity for a moment. If you can get that set up over a two or three or four year time frame, where it is the business model that underpins it is unique, that it is de-risked, that it has strong systems and a good reliable team such that it can work without you, then that I want to argue that that operating entity that sits on top of your farm has real intrinsic value. Just like the accounting firm that is under management that rents its premises from the landlord, your opera, the operating entity of your farm can have real value. And if you can get it set up 
such that it can reliably work without you, such that it is under management and you've got a stable operating team and structure and systems supporting that team such that you can have an extended break and deliver a reliable profit to your family and to your to the owners year in year out then why would you ever sell that that's an asset that you should keep forever but i guess what we see as we arrive into the lives of many farming families across australia is that most of us are a little bit like a man in a van we have a business that is dependent on us. A bit like that first example I used of the accountant or the restaurant or the physio. We have businesses that are completely dependent on us. There's not much value in that because when we're not there, the business doesn't work. And you will have heard us say, in this that great business owners just get the concept of leverage better than the average person. Entrepreneurs understand leverage. Now, business is a form of leverage. Once you've got your business, your farm business that sits on top of your land asset under management, it's just like a vehicle like my ute. Its job is just to get me from here, being Kudamundra, to Albury, as a vehicle in the same way that a business just needs to get me from where I am to where it is that I wanna go. But business is your first form of leverage. And most of us in agriculture haven't thought about necessarily the construct of having a business that works for us and without us. We've grown up in a mindset where the hardest working farmer gets the most respect or I've got to be out there working with my men in order to have their respect. And it's a badge of honour to work 80, 90, 100 hour weeks and be able to tell people how busy we are. Now, a business owner would look at what you're doing and the hours that you're working. A business investor, sorry, would look at what we're doing with a whole bunch of questions. I just think it's really interesting. And in business, business is the first form of leverage. Within a business, there are only four ways that we can leverage. We can leverage through marketing. We can leverage through finance. We can leverage through systems. And we can leverage through people. And so we need to be looking at how well our business model, if it's our business model that can set us free, we've got to be looking at how well our business model is set up such that it leverages marketing really well, finance really well, that its systems are strong and that it has a team that is dependable because those are all just four forms of leverage that can allow you to achieve so much more in your lifetime for so much less effort, which is the definition of leverage. 
I interviewed, and I'm going to share this interview with you guys shortly, a Nuffield scholar in David Brownhill recently, probably about 12 months ago. And, David, I hope you don't mind me saying, but I distinctly remember a moment where winter crop sowing was happening, uh, harvest was happening, shearing was happening, and I recall you were on the golf course at the coast celebrating your anniversary with your wife. Now, I want to put it to all of us that that is achievable for all of us. We can all get to a point from where we are that we have a business that has scaled, that is resourced and has the ability to work whether you are there or not. But my first comment today was that business is an intellectual sport and some people are just applying strategy and leverage more effectively to their farm businesses than others. Now, money isn't made in the paddock. I believe that money is made when we're doing the critical thinking around the business models and how we achieve leverage in our businesses. And I just think David Brownhill, over the years that he has worked diligently with his brother building out their farm business, finally arrived to a place where he has a team underpinned by systems that is valuable, that sets him free such that he can be at the coast at the busiest time of their year, enjoying a wedding anniversary with his wife. We've got some Platinum Mastermind members at Farm Owners Academy who are in the midst of harvest right now. I know Cheryl is hiking with her daughter in Tasmania at the moment, and I got to speak to Tim on the phone for two hours last week. Um, in the midst of their busy harvest. And so it is possible if we learn how. If business is an intellectual sport, then perhaps the only thing holding me back from being able to achieve this at a significant level is actually the four inches of real estate between my ears. It's how much I know, how strong I am as a business person, how well I apply the theories of leverage and how well the business model is that supports my farm. Now, I think David and Bianca at Our Cow have been incredible. They identified that their farm didn't have enough scale and so they sought about looking to create a complementary revenue stream that could help them get it done. And so how strong is your business? The systems that support it, the business model that you have. And out of 10, how much or to what degree is it unable to be under management? It can take three to five years, I think, to really get it done and apply good business rigour to our farms such that we can achieve all that I'm talking about. But the principles are exactly the same for the accounting firm, the physio practice, the builder, 
the plumber, the baker, the restaurant, as they are for us. And so I can't emphasise enough the importance of learning the business skills around which you get to scale. So there's another angle on this that I want to play with for a while and just humour me while I work through this is that, and again, I was chatting to our general manager, Sam Johnson and Robbo the other day, one of the founders at Farm Owners about this is that I actually think there are three types of farms. There might be more, but I think broadly there are three types of farms. And so just check in with me, guys, as we go through, which one best describes you? The first one is that established large family farm that might be three or four or five generations old. There might be two or three family members working in it together, maybe more. It might support multiple households. But ultimately, the first type of farm is the one that has scale enough that it can justify expanding at the current time from the profits of the farm that you already have. The significant established family dynasty with scale enough to continue to expand in the current climate. It can provide an adequate wage to its owners. It can reduce debt. It can navigate the vagaries of seasons. It can educate kids and create wealth for all related households. That's the first type, and that might be you. And I still think everything I've talked about applies. The second type of farm is the opposite of that. And that is the farm like David and Bianca's perhaps, that is small, probably with debt, probably in its early stages of development, might be first generation, maybe second generation, but you don't have the scale around which to expand. And that in this situation, what most people have is an off-farm income that feeds the family, educates the kids, and might pay down debt. Now, I think if this is you, if you've got a small farm that doesn't have the scale that it needs, and land values like we've seen have at least doubled in the last couple of years, I think the first farm that I explained can probably justify buying the farm next door, even at these very significant values. But I think for the small farm, buying the block next door when land values have doubled can be a very daunting prospect. So the question is absolutely being bandied around at the moment. How can I possibly justify an expansion step from where I am at the moment? And this is where I think the roadmap might be a little bit different. I think everything I've talked about, about applying leverage to your small business, your small farm, is important, but I also think that you've got an opportunity to learn the skills of business, 
business is an intellectual sport, to really invest in your own development, but equally apply the theories of business to an off-farm project that can support your farm. I think a lot of us think about investing off-farm and we think about shares and we think about real estate. But I actually think there's a third asset class that we should be thinking a lot about. Farmers are very capable, resilient people. And I think if we turn and expand our minds a little bit and think about buying a business, small business outside of agriculture that can complement and support your family farm, that 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 second business can be the thing that can set you free. In the same way, Bianca and David at Our Cow have created Our Cow, which is the thing that can set them free and allow them to buy more land and expand their farming interests. We've all got that opportunity. And so I guess what I'm saying is don't underestimate the power of an off-farm income and even better than an off-farm income is a business that is under management that supports the farm business that you have. We all know farm businesses can be asset rich and cash poor. We also know that small businesses can be cash rich and asset poor. I think those two things combined can be a wonderful complement for the other type of farm that I just described, that small farm that doesn't have scale enough to justify an expansion step at this time. Let me use Jane and I as an example here. So we've got 1,800 acres of very productive high rainfall country. If this farm had to educate our kids and provide for us and reduce its own debt over time, we would be pushing it. We'd have to take risks that might go not go our way. We probably would accumulate debt over time, like I've seen so many families do, in order to educate kids well. But I think we would be putting this farm under too much pressure. I have always maintained, way back from my farm consulting days 20-plus years ago, that if I can educate my kids, provide for my family, and even reduce some debt with off-farm proceeds, then I'm freeing up my farm to be incredibly profitable, incredibly resilient, and able to scale over time. Now, I'm lucky enough to have this leadership role and an ownership in Farm Owners Academy. And the salary and the profitability that I get to enjoy now allows me to think differently about how we expand our interests in agriculture. And I guess what I'm proposing is, again, don't underestimate the power of creating an off-farm project and either starting or investing in an off-farm business like David and Bianca at Alcow have that can see you significantly expand in agriculture over time. Now, in one of my upcoming podcasts, I'm going to interview Sam Kincott, who arrived into a similar position not too long ago, maybe 12 or 15 years ago, 
where his farm didn't have enough scale. Today, that farm business has between 12 and 15,000 eggs um, leaving their operation every day. So free range chooks in sheds following cattle around. I think they've got about 800 acres earning out 15, 12 to 15,000 eggs every day. Again, a different business model applied to a conventional small farm and with good strategy and a good business model and leverage well applied, the rest, as they say, is history. And so I wanna, I wanna just shout out today to the likes of Holbrook Paddock Eggs, Sam and Bookie Pincott, David and Bianca McGiveron at Our Cow, and then others that I've interviewed like Tom Bull at Lampro, who have created businesses that are of value that complement their farms. Tom Bull the other day sold over a thousand rams. I think it's the first time that there've been more than a thousand rams sold at a ram sale on any given day in Australia. Tom, congratulations. But these are businesses that are sitting on top of our farms that in and of themselves are profitable in the same way that accounting firm or that physiotherapy practice or that restaurant are valuable in and of themselves. And so I think it's a really important construct that we stop for a moment, look at our businesses independent of our farms and check in on how well they are set up to give us what we want in life. Businesses, including farm businesses, are purely vehicles to give us what we want in life. They need to work for us, not us for them. Just like my ute needs to work for me, not it, not me for it. But it takes time, training, strategy, and some business and entrepreneurial principles well applied that can get it done such that the operating entity of our farm is valuable in and of itself. And so I've said that there are three types of farms. There's the large dynasty, there's the small farm reliant on off-farm income and off-farm businesses in order to achieve and grow. And then I think there's a business smack in the middle that might be a third or fourth generation business where there is a contracting business, harvest or spraying. Um, there might be an agronomy or a wool classing business on the side that is supporting the farm business. There might be a nursing wage or a teaching wage that is supporting that business. And so I guess with those businesses, again, I just want to emphasise, don't underestimate the importance of that off-farm income. It might be $50,000, it might be $100,000 a year, it might be more. But those off-farm proceeds can play such an important role in supporting our farm businesses, especially in those below average years, 
I guess to you, if this is you, my question is, how can you apply better strategy and better leverage and better thinking around the business model of the business that you already have? It might be an excavation business. It might be a harvest contracting business. It might be a lamb marking business or a wool classing business. How can you apply better strategy to that project such that you can scale it and bring it under management so that it is in and of itself a business of value that can better support your farm? Again, I think the interplay of off-farm business and on-farm business can be wonderful and significant and importantly, take a lot of pressure off the farms that we have to achieve all of the things that we need for them to achieve. I think some of us might be taking huge risks in agriculture because we're requiring or asking too much of our farms when what we could do is look for that complementary off-farm project that can support us and strengthen our cash flow such that we are in a better position to reduce debt and then expand in agriculture. So a different spin on this game of farming, inspired by conversations like that with Sam Pincott and like that in our last podcast interview with Dave and Bianca, but I guess in this podcast, I just wanted to shout out those of you with off-farm income and off-farm wages and off-farm projects, congratulations for that diversity. And for those of you that are dependent on farming and not quite getting the results that you want, the best investment I think we can make, firstly, is in our own development and learning the business skills that can set us up to succeed and expand. But then rather than only thinking about how can you expand your farm business, I want to suggest that maybe you could back yourselves to take the blinkers off, respect the skills that you have, and consider an investment in an off-farm project that complements your farm. I know it's been a wonderful entrepreneurial journey for Jane and I, as I think it has for David and Bianca, as I think it has for Sam and Pookie and so many others that are finding off-farm projects that can complement our farm businesses. So I hope that's encouraging. I hope it um, challenges our thinking a little bit and I hope it sets you up to think about your business model, how well you're applying leverage and how you might look outside of your farm to find ways that can help get it done for you and your family such that your business can expand and give you each what it is that you want in life. And so let's round this out. If business is an intellectual sport, if our business model is the thing that sets us free, if perhaps we're asking too much of our farms and we need to consider the option to find a small business well-designed that can complement our farm business in order to create wealth, reduce debt and expand, then how do we get that done? And so for me, 
what I'm learning in my travels in business and entrepreneurship is that our time is our greatest asset. We think that it's our farm. We think that it's our livestock. We think that it might be our machinery or whatever. But our time and how we focus our time is the thing that is going to make the difference. I see so many farmers stuck doing low-value activity and choosing farm work over CEO-level activity. If we truly want to scale our farm and we truly want to get our off-farm businesses set up to be able to truly scale and help us expand and achieve our dreams even when land values are arriving to where they're at, then time off the tools, acting as the CEOs to our business, focusing on high-value, high-priority activities is just so important. And that's where a half a day or a day a week locked out to learn the skills and then apply the skills of entrepreneurship and business to your reality and to your combination of businesses can be and is proving, has been proven to be the thing that can set you apart. And so the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and again and expecting a different result. If you're frustrated by the results you're getting and you've got a farm business that you're perplexed around how to scale and you've got an off-farm business that you may well have neglected that might have played second fiddle to the farm for some time, then you've got some amazing resources there that through better strategy, better thinking, deeper focus on your business model and a better application of leverage that can achieve so much for you. It certainly has for Jane and I, and it certainly has for those examples that I've shared. But it all starts with giving yourself permission to dedicate, I believe, a day a week to truly acting as the entrepreneur, the business authority, or the CEO to your business. If you can do that, and make that time available to truly apply what we're talking about and to building out the goodwill in your business, the systems, the structures, the strategy, the model, then everything can change. And so just check in, guys, with how it is that you're focusing your time and how much time outside of harvest and shearing and those silly periods in our business, are we actually focusing on the application of good business theory and good entrepreneurial practice to our farms and to those businesses that surround our farms? I hope it's um, been valuable for you. I hope that it's challenged your thinking. And I hope that this might set in motion an opportunity for you to look differently at the combination of businesses that you're running and look at how they might better complement in order to help you scale in farming and help you achieve your dreams. I hope that's encouraging, guys. I look forward to your comments. Take care. Thank you.
And we'll look forward to some interviews with some of these incredible people in coming podcasts. For now, all the best rounding out this season. Take care and bye for now.